0: I've known Michael and Elizabeth for about 30 years. As you may know, I'm on the board for Leading the Way, or the European board. And uh, um, I do a 60-second tweet every day, and today I devoted the whole time to Leading the Way. I know of no ministry like it. And the thing I like about Michael is, uh, theologically, he's sound. He wants to see people saved, and uh, theologically, uh, he's sharp, and it's so good, and I'm honored that he would have me here, but thank you, Jonathan, and um, thank all of you. By the way, did you know in September, Michael will be 75 years old? My, that's old, 75. 75. <laughs> wonder, Elizabeth, what will it be like living with such an old man? But Louise and I have been married 65 years, and 88 years old I was last week, and God has, you know, every year I come, I think this will be the last, but to be totally honest, everything I did 20 years ago, I'm still doing. I'm as busy as I've ever been, and God has been very good to me now Michael kindly lets me bring some of my latest books and I've written a book called fear the good the bad the ugly the good fear fear of God bad fear of man ugly demonic fear a book on the Lord's Prayer is available Uh, my book prophetic integrity that deals with these prophets who think God told them who's going to be the next president And they always get it wrong, and they won't admit they made a mistake. And I've written a book calling them to be honest, admit when you get it wrong. Prophetic integrity. And then my latest book, it's just out this week. It's out this week. A little bit controversial for some. It's called The Isaac Promise. For 50 years, I have held the view, I've I've preached it, that the charismatic movement is Ishmael. As Abraham thought that Ishmael was the promised child that, that turned out he was wrong, God said, Sarah will conceive, and Isaac is coming. I think uh, charismatics, they love the Lord. They think that they believe that they're the final work of God before the end. And I hold that they're Ishmael, but Isaac is coming. and. Uh, at first, uh, I was rejected by them because they didn't like to be called Ishmael. I-, I can understand that. But I believe something very genuine is at hand, and I, I give my view here. So I'll be around at- afterwards to sign up if that will help get rid of them, and uh, <laughs> come once a year. All right. I want to preach my subject, I would call it, Getting God's Opinion. And uh, I base this on James chapter 1, verse 5, where James said, If any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I now ask for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend. To cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. And may this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Getting God's Opinion. The word opinion means uh, point of view, perspective. Uh, Maybe you hadn't thought about it like this, but God has an opinion on everything. He's got an opinion on anything. The question is, do we want his opinion? And the point of this message this year is to say to you, the smartest thing you can do is to get his opinion. And then follow through with it. It may cost you, but you will never be sorry. And so God has an opinion on everything. Now, the case could be made that this verse I read is the first request in the unfolding of the Christian faith that has to do with prayer. Let me explain what I mean. Matthew was probably written around in 50 or 60 A.D., the Gospel of Matthew. It starts out Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But James is probably written around 40 A.D. It's thought to be the first actually written. And that being the case, the first reference to prayer is right here. As soon as he starts out, he says, If anyone lack wisdom, ask God. And so it's a reference to prayer and you are to ask God for wisdom. Now, we know this from one John 5.14, that any prayer that is answered, albeit an answer because it was God's will, like it or not, if you want your prayer to be answered, you've got to pray in his will. Because John says, 1 John 5.14. If any man ask according to his will, he hears us. Well, the question is, how do we know that we are praying in the will of God? Well, I can give you three examples for sure to know for sure that when you're praying, you're praying in the will of God. First, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come. Uh, It's a prayer to be prayed uh, for what it's worth. Uh, Louise and I pray the Lord's Prayer together out loud every day, seven days a week. We've done it for years and years. We just pray the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer that covers everything. If you examine what is involved in the Lord's Prayer, there's nothing left out. It's all there. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Also... Romans eight twenty six twenty seven, 27 Paul uses the expression, praying in the Spirit. Now, there's one or two views of what that may mean. But the point is, if you pray in the Spirit, uh, Paul talks about groanings that cannot be uttered, and you, you really don't know for sure what is the will of God. But the Spirit intercedes, and that way you know that the prayer uh, ascends to heaven is in the will of God. And you think, well, whatever that is, that's what I want. So when you pray in the Spirit, you'll be praying in the will of God. And then when you ask for wisdom, this is a time you can be sure you're praying in God's will. Because He wants you to do this. He's inviting you to do this. You ask for wisdom. Now, the Greek word is Sophia. Sophia. You might like to know that the ancient Hellenistic Greeks thought that Sophia wisdom could only come to the gods. Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, that ordinary people like you and me could never have Sophia. But James says you can. God will give it to you. It has nothing to do with your IQ, has nothing to do with your education. But if you lack wisdom, That is to say, you don't know the next step forward. Ask God. And the smartest thing you can do, get his opinion and do it, no matter what the cost. Now, uh, I think the most dramatic example of wisdom is described in um, 1 Kings chapter 3. Uh, You will perhaps know the story. It's about Solomon uh, when he was put on the spot. I want to read to you from 1 Kings chapter 3, starting at verse 16. And so two women who were prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. This is King Solomon. One woman said, "'Please, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was in the house.' On the third day after I gave birth, she also had a baby, and we were alone. No one else was with us in the house, just the two of us were there. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. She got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I was asleep. She laid him in her arms And she put her dead son in my arms. When I got up in the morning to nurse my son, I discovered that he was dead. That morning, when I looked closely at him, I realized that he was not the son I gave birth to. No, the other woman said, my son is the living one. Your son is the dead one. Well, the first woman said, no, your son... Is the dead one my son is the living one so they argued before the king well the king replied this woman says this is my son who is alive and yours is dead but this woman says no your son is dead and mine is alive the king continued bring me a sword So they brought the sword to the king, and the king said, Cut the living boy in two, and give half to one and half to the other. The woman, whose son was alive, spoke to the king because she felt great compassion for her son. My Lord, give her the living baby, she said. But please, don't have him killed. But the other one said, He will not be mine or yours. Cut him in two. The king responded, Give the living baby to the first woman and don't kill him. She is his mother. All Israel heard about the judgment the king had given, and they stood in awe of the king. Because they saw that God's wisdom was in him to carry out justice. Awesome wisdom. Where does it come from? It is a gift of God. And the wisdom that will make people stand in awe is from him. And he's got it. Now, there's a little prehistory. Because some time before, God came to Solomon and said, "Uh, what would you like for me to do for you? Well, said Solomon, I need wisdom. I'm not able to to judge these people, so I need your wisdom. Well, you know what? God said, "Uh, I like your request. You could have asked for riches. You didn't ask for that. You could have asked for long life, you didn't ask for that. You could have asked for judgment on your enemy, you didn't ask for that. You asked for wisdom. And God was so pleased with that request that He said, I'm going to give you what you asked for and I'm going to give you other things you didn't ask for. You see, that's the way God is. If you pray in His will, you get more than you could have ever wanted. take for example Matthew 6 verse 33 it was my father's favorite verse uh, I grew up on Matthew six thirty-three. it seemed like he quoted it almost every day seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you uh, it is a very wonderful verse in other words you just seek God and seek him and then he'll give you everything else It's, forgive me for this, but it's the polar opposite of what is taught so much on television these days, where you're encouraged just to give money for a ministry and you're going to be driving a Mercedes in a few weeks' time, encouraging people to go for greedy things. No, seek the kingdom of God and then his righteousness, you'll get all that you need and more. This is the way forward. Well, God was pleased with that request some years ago I was on a flight from New York to Miami and uh, I was uh, reading my Bible I follow a Bible reading plan uh, many years ago Martin Lloyd Jones introduced to me Robert Murray Shane Bible reading plan and I followed it for over 40 years that day it was in Exodus chapter 33 And when I came to verse 13, although I had read it a thousand times, I saw something I'd never seen. This is the wonderful thing about the Bible. You just keep discovering things, although you've read it before, something altogether different. But that day, I was so convicted. And I felt so ashamed when I saw these words where Moses said, Lord, If you are really pleased with me, then... You see, what had happened is that it was like God coming to Solomon. But this is Moses. And God came to Moses and said, I'm pleased with you. And therefore, what would you like? And so Moses said, Lord, if you are pleased with me, then... And he put his request in. When I saw what it was... That Moses asked for. I felt so ashamed. I thought, I wouldn't have asked for that. I have sense. That's what I asked for now. But you know what Moses said? If you are pleased with me, show me your ways. What he wanted to know was to know God better. I thought. That's the thing. This will let you see how God could choose Moses, the greatest living uh, head of state or is the greatest uh, example of leadership in the history of the world. And you want to know why would it be like that? Look what he wanted. He just wanted to know God's ways. Hebrews 3 verse 10, where God lamented of ancient Israel, they have not known my ways you may not like God's ways but he has ways he wants you to know them how do you know anybody's ways well the way you get to know a person's ways is to spend time with them my wife knows my ways my son knows my ways. Children spell love, T-I-M-E. How do you get to know God's ways? By the way, God likes your company. How much do you pray? How much time do you spend in prayer? At the judgment seat of Christ... You will not regret anything you gave to God. You will not regret any amount of time spent getting to know his ways. Just talking to him. When I first went to Westminster Chapel, I actually urged every member uh, to pray 30 minutes a day. Yeah, that's, that's, I thought that's what every Christian should do. I was brought up that way. My father, my earliest memory of my dad was sitting on his knees 30 minutes before he went to work. And he wasn't a preacher. He was a layman. And so I asked the members of Westminster Chapel, 30 minutes a day, you would have thought these chandeliers would fall. (laughs) One deacon said, 30 minutes a day? I don't know what to say after five minutes. Told me more about him than I wanted to know. You can have a prayer list. God likes your company and you get to know his ways. How much do you pray? Here's a quote from Martin Luther's journal I have a very busy day today. Must not spend two hours, but three in prayer. John Wesley would not think of going out into his day without two hours on his knees where are the Wesleys? Where are the Martin Luthers? The average church leader, you might like to know this, and maybe you wouldn't want to know, the average church leader today in Britain and America, whether pastor, evangelist, rector, spends four minutes a day in prayer. And you wonder why the church is powerless. And so... To know God's ways. You get to know him and God likes your company and you will never regret time with him. Well, according to James, you can get to know his ways and that's what wisdom is. I would define wisdom not only as getting God's opinion, but the presence of the mind of the Holy Spirit. Not presence of mind, a uh, A person, not a Christian, will sometimes experience what they call presence of mind. Unusual strength or unusual knowledge in a crisis. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about the presence of the mind of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Godhead has a mind. And if we can get his mind and figure out what he would do, ask for that. The mind of the Spirit... If you get the mind of the Spirit, you will have wisdom. I call it 2020 foresight vision. We all have 2020 hindsight vision. If only I had done this last week, if I could relive yesterday. But if you get the mind of the Spirit, you have 2020 foresight vision. You won't mess up. You'll say the right thing at the right time. And this is on offer. To ordinary people. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well now. To get the mind of the Spirit. It is required. That you know the Holy Spirit. When he is not grieved. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. But when the Holy Spirit is unquenched ungrieved, you get his mind. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Paul says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. The word grieve comes from a Greek word that means get your feelings hurt. You say, well, (laughs) RT, Holy Spirit can't get his feelings hurt. Oh, yes, he can. When he's grieved, what happens? Well, you don't lose your salvation, Because Ephesians 4.30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Nothing can be clearer than that. But what happens is, it's as if the dove just kind of flies away. It's a metaphor. For example, John the Baptist said, I knew that Jesus was the Messiah because I was told that when you see the dove come down and remain, he is the Son of God. I'm sure all of you knew that the dove is often depicted as, as, as the Holy Spirit. Not the only way. He's depicted as fire, wind. But why the dove? Well, the dove is a very shy bird. Uh, and a dove is very gentle. Did you know there's a, that doves and pigeons are in the same family? They're the same. Anatomically, they're the same. You cut one open, the same. Spleen, everything. But the dove and pigeon are very different in temperament. You can, you can train a, a, a pigeon, but you can't train a dove. A pigeon is boisterous. A dove is gentle. And John the Baptist says, I saw the dove come down and remain. Why does he say Remain. Well, let me put it this way, (laughs) I know what it is, I I think you do, when the Holy Spirit comes down on you, and there's nothing like it in the world. When the presence of the Holy Spirit is there, I wish I could say that it happens to me every day, I wish I could, no, but when that does happen, and the dove comes down, and you think, oh... Oh, this is, this is wonderful. The peace, the joy. God is so real. You think, after this moment, I'll never doubt God again. That's, that's how real, when the dove comes down. But what I find is that the dove doesn't stay, doesn't remain. You see, the dove came down on Jesus and remained. He comes down on me, but it seems to... He flies away. Later in the day, I'll think, what happened? This morning, he was so real. What, what, what happened? Well, maybe it was uh, when I was on the telephone and talking to an agent with American Airlines that they just started work yesterday, and they don't know what they're doing. And I said, am I to believe you're saying? And the Louise said, be careful. The dove will just fly away. You're on I-75 and the car in front of you going so slow, you roll down, you would, what's the matter with you? The dove just flies away. <laughs> you're in Kroger's or Publix, and you're in a hurry, you're at the cat register, and the little old lady is counting her change. You think, Oh. You wanted her to hear you, she did, but so did the dove. <laughs> you see. The dove won't bend the rules for any of us. A British couple were given a, 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 ministry, a missionary assignment to Israel. And they were given a home in Jerusalem to live in. And they noticed a few weeks after they moved into the house that a dove had come to live in the eve of the roof of their house. And they were so excited. It was kind of like a seal of God on their being in Israel. But they noticed that every time they would slam a door, the dove would fly away. Every time they would shout at each other, get into an argument, the dove would fly away. And one day Sandy said to Bernice, he told this story all over Britain, How do you feel about the dove? Oh, it's wonderful, like a seal of God. But have you noticed every time we get into an argument and shout, Dove flies away. We slam the door. The dove flies away. And she said, I'm afraid he's going to fly away and never come back. It changed their lives. They watched everything they did to keep the dove, an animal, in the eve of the roof of their house. But, my friend, the Holy Spirit is a thousand times more sensitive than that. And you say, well, how can you grieve the Spirit? Well... As soon as Paul said, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, he tells you, let all bitterness, anger, wrath be put away from you, forgiving one another. So, could I just ask you, I don't mean to be unfair, but are you angry? Are you bitter? Have you been flying off the handle? Have you lost your temper? Are you living in unforgiveness? You're holding a grudge, and you're wondering why God is not real. Well, I have to tell you, he won't bend the rules for any of us. And to get to know his ways means to live a life without bitterness and anger. And I couldn't help but think between the two services, I did this sermon pretty much this way in the first service. I was thinking, I think there's somebody here in this service, this sermon is getting to you in the nick of time. There's somebody here, not asking who it is, don't need to know, but you know who you are. You need this big time. But, it, but it's, God is never too late, he's never too early. He's always just on time. The thing is, required for the Holy Spirit to be ungrieved, it's the absence of bitterness. Uh, When the Spirit is ungrieved, He will reveal His opinion. You'll get His opinion. He wants to give it to you. But I have to tell you, you say, is there a catch, R.T.? Well, you might say so. I'll tell you what it is. It may cost you. This is the thing. In Proverbs chapter 4, when Solomon is talking about this wisdom, he says, get it. Whatever the cost, get it. You say, well, how much do I pay? Do I go to the bank and draw out money? That won't do. You say, well, how will it cost you? Well, your friends may distance themselves from you. You may have to turn down a coveted invitation. You may have to abandon a certain relationship. You may have to appear stupid before people's eyes. And by the way, have you noticed when you read Proverbs, there's so much in Proverbs about sexual purity? And the danger of adultery, it's in your face. Why? Because wisdom and adultery don't go together. Last Sunday morning, last Sunday morning, I was preaching in a town near Nashville. And as I walked into the pulpit, my cell phone went off. I didn't know I had it on, but it hadn't got to the pulpit yet. Was a man, pastor, of a, he's a major player, well-known pastor in a major city in Texas. He's at R.T., I just wanted to tell you I have to resign my church today after 35 years. He messed up. How did it happen? Lack of wisdom. You hear about pastors. Some say there's one a week have to give up their ministry. Lack of wisdom. They do stupid things. And if I've given this warning before here, I think I'm going to give it now. If if there's someone here right now, you're in the middle of an affair, you're thinking of having one, I've got a word for you. Stop it. Now. Break it off. It's only a matter of time. You give a thousand worlds to turn the clock back to this moment. Don't be stupid. And so this wisdom is on offer. And whatever it costs you, get it. I think as I close, the wisest question I could ask you is this. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you? If you were to stand before God, you will. And if He were to ask you, He, he, he could do. Why should I let you into my heaven? What exactly would you would you say? Suppose this were the real thing, and you're standing before God, and you. I ask, why do you think you should get into heaven? There's only one answer. give the wrong answer. You have to go to hell. The right answer, do you know it? There'll be nobody to coach you, whisper the answer to you. What, What would you say? By now, it should have come to your mind. If it didn't come to your mind to say this, because Jesus died for me. Because of the blood of Jesus, if that did not come to your mind already, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. But that can all change. I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. You can pray it. If you can mean it. Sentence by sentence. You don't need to say it out loud. God will see you. Just say this right now. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I invite your Holy Spirit to come into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. Did you pray that prayer? Are you ashamed that you prayed that prayer? You say, Well, why do you ask RT? Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Jesus said, if you confess me before a man, I'll confess you before my father. And if you prayed that prayer, I ask, are you ashamed of it? I'm going to ask you to confess him. Not going to ask you to make a speech. But if you prayed that prayer, I want you in the next 15 seconds to stand up to your feet. You say, in front of all this crowd? Yep. If you confess me before a man, I'm not going to ask you to make a speech. But if you prayed that prayer, five, four, three, two, one, stand to your feet if you prayed that prayer. <laughs> Remain standing. Good. Okay, remain standing. Remain standing. Okay. Remain standing. Now look, it's very possible that some of you that are standing were saved before today. And you did the right thing to stand. You you affirmed the gospel. But if you have never confessed him openly before or prayed a prayer like that, and this is your first time, you know what? You've just been born again. Okay, happy birthday. Now everybody stand, everybody stand. I'm not quite finished. I think I should do one other thing. Jonathan and I had a talk about this. If I had said all of you that lack wisdom and promise today to start asking God for it, I think everybody would have stood. I think you would have. But I'm going to make it a little more difficult. If there's somebody here today, you say, Archie, I really needed this. And you want to send a signal to anybody, to God, the angels, that you want today to be a red-letter day for you, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Get out from where you're standing, go to the nearest aisle, and come down to the front, And kneel and pray to show how earnest you are that this is going to make a difference in your life so if you're there like that come right now in the balcony start coming we'll wait for you and I just say come on down and pray that this will be a day you say Lord I'm sorry I've not sought your opinion I've been too hurried too busy I haven't prayed like I should. I haven't looked for your opinion. And I've made mistakes, and I'm sorry. Anyone else come? I don't know if anybody's leaving from the balcony or not. Yeah, they are. Just pour your heart out to God. If there are elders here that pray with those who come forward, I'm sure they'll come up to you if you need to. And... uh, so that you leave this place knowing that you sincerely want to please God and seek his face for wisdom. Maybe it's your prayer life. Maybe it's your inability to forgive. But I would urge you so that this sermon will not just be one you said, Oh, yeah, that was good. I needed that. I want it to make a difference in your life. That if I never see you again, I will be so glad I gave this invitation. Or if I come back again, you can say, that day made a change in my life. Wait just a moment. I tell you what, we'll ask the uh, singers to come and, and I'll let them close. You that are kneeling, pray as long as you like. And there'll be time for those in the balcony to continue to make their way